I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the latest tax research. In September of 2023, about 100 tax accounting researchers and practitioners descended on Chicago to discuss the latest tax accounting research at the biannual tax symposium hosted by the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. In today's episode, we discuss some of the latest research presented at the conference. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. I really love these episodes and these were your brainchild. So I'm giving you all credit for these. And as is characteristic, you give me way too much credit. No, you came up with this. Um, it, these episodes where we talk about the last tax conference that we went to. Yeah. And we talk about what we saw, what we did, what we ate. And eventually we get around to talking about what we learned in terms of tax research. But most of it's about what we ate. Which is fair. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, yeah, I like these episodes. So I generally love these episodes too, but... I have to admit, this time I'm a little less excited. Okay. Say more. Maybe anxious is the right word okay. because um, I never actually um, made it to Chicago. That is true. You did not actually make it to Chicago and that made me very sad. It made me very sad too. I had very good intentions of going. You did. I even So I was teaching the day that I had to fly to Chicago and I even wrapped up my classes early so that I could get in earlier flight mm-hmm. that would l- have me landing hypothetically hypothetically scheduled to land before midnight which was like huge for me it was a, it was a huge effort it was a noble effort what i didn't count on is the weather here in the beautiful state of texas which has been very hot and mm-hmm. we suddenly got pr- some pretty severe thunderstorms in fact on the night that i was trying to get to chicago and uh funnily enough the pilot of my flight was also trying to get to austin from Houston. Mm-hmm. So we're in the gate area. Storms are heading from Austin to Houston. So our runway shut down. Uh, so he couldn't take off from Houston because there was nowhere to land. Yes. And then when, <laughs> when our runway finally opened back up, the storms had hit Houston and shut down their runway. Got it. Okay. That's annoying. It was one of those experiences where, you know, you're sitting in the gate area. And in my case, I'm sitting on the floor because, of course, there are not enough seats in the gate area. Especially the Austin airport. Yeah. And um, on the floor there, because of the rain and everything, Mm -hmm. there were bugs. So there was a very large cricket that was slowly creeping towards my backpack on the floor. I didn't hear about the cricket before this. Yeah. Um, So all of us were dodging the cricket while trying not to lose our seats (laughs) And meanwhile, trying to listen with one ear to the announcements that were pushing back the estimated departure time, 30 minutes at a time, for five hours. That's, that's the worst. Uh, yeah, that's, just, that's yuck. It was very yuck. But I did miss you all. And because I missed the conference, it only makes sense for us to structure this episode as me interviewing you. Oh, okay. To learn all the amazing things that I missed. Let's do it. So let's start with the most important question. Uh What's the best thing you ate in Chicago? Ooh, that is the most important question. And I think very on brand for me, it was a dessert. Yeah. Um, I had something called a tri leche cake, which I've Mm. known more uh, familiarly as tres leches cake. Yeah. This was um, a Croatian version of it. Oh. Tri leche cake. Um, Three milk cake that I ate for dessert at a lovely new restaurant called Rosemary in Mm. the Fulton Market District. That sounds delightful. It was great. 
All right. Um, did you meet any new people at this conference? Anyone I should know about? I met, so the way that this conference is set up, like Lisa said, is at most conferences, authors present the paper and then other academics discuss the paper. At Illinois, the cool part is that you get both an academic discussant, usually you get an academic academic discussant and a practitioner discussant. It is a very cool part of the conference. Lisa and I both had papers in the same session and we got two practitioner discussants. Thankfully, I was not the presenter of my paper. That would have been bad. That would have been bad. Um, And one of our practitioner discussants was an exceptionally enthusiastic, passionate, super smart woman from Deloitte. So I really enjoyed meeting her and getting to talk with her. I'm bummed that I didn't get a chance to meet with her. She was great. She was the second discussant and the first discussant got up and had slides. And then she basically said, yeah, I'm just going to sit because I'm going to run out of energy if I try to stand. Because She was just like so excited about what was going on. So it was very cool. So the conference was actually at a new hotel this year, which I was kind of excited to see and then never saw. So um, tell me about the new the new digs. Um, so it was at the Drake. Yeah. Great location right on Michigan Avenue. There may have been shopping mm-hmm. that took place um, even before the conference got started. Okay, good. Uh, first time ever I was in a room, it had two bathrooms. Wow. And it was not like a palatial suite. It was a regular size two queen bed room situation, okay. normal size room, but two bathrooms. Okay. So there would have been one for each of us. There would have been. Now, both of them were terrible. Oh, okay. So, and I don't even know if like the two mediocre bathrooms equaled like one normal bathroom, Okay, but still it was a, it was a new experience. Oh, all right. And the other great thing. Um, so I guess the Drake is very famous for their afternoon tea. Oh, fun. And this was in the restaurant, which was very close to where our conference was being held. Okay. And so during one of the breaks, you got to walk through and see all these people. People were very dressed up. There were women in some very fancy hats, um, having their tea and eating their, uh, you know, little accompaniments. And so, um, Michael Donahoe, if you're listening, I want tea next year uh-huh. at the, uh, at the last session. We'll even don some crazy hats yeah, in absolutely. order to make the tea happen. Whatever I have to do to get those cute little cookies. Okay. Um, last question. Mm -hmm. We often spend time together after these conferences in order to, you know, record podcasts, um, to generally catch up on life since we live in different States and engage usually in some pretty well-deserved self-care, uh, spa weekend for those of you who needed a translation. So I want to hear the best part of the ladies weekend that ended up being one lady short and yes, I mean, one lady short and not one short lady. I knew that was coming. Which was... (laughs) The other woman we were spending the weekend with, Jerry Seidman. I knew that was coming. Um, it was good. We did some shopping in a first, I think, ever. I bought some things that were not on sale. So I'm so proud of you for that. That was pretty... That's self-care, that ladies was, and gentlemen. This is a big step in self-care. So actually, it was funny because Jerry and I had gone to lunch, and we have the same credit card, and we accidentally picked up each other's credit cards. Mm-hmm. So actually, Jerry bought me a whole bunch of clothes. <laughs> that <laughs> that were, makes more sense. <laughs> they were not on sale, um, but I do have to have to pay for them at some point in time. Um, so we did that, went back to the peninsula. You and I had gone there a year ago, and they have a lovely spa there. A lovely spa. Um, yeah, it was great. And the weather was good. It was, it was good, but we, we missed you a lot. I missed y'all too. Now that I'm all caught up on the important details of the conference, yes. uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the research that I missed. We should do that. Mm-hmm. So this does not become a podcast about our vacations. Um, so as you know from the program that I am sure you studied diligently in the weeks leading up to the conference and did not save 
for your flight to Chicago. Uh, uh-huh. uh, there were six papers presented at the conference, including, like we said, a paper by each of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of us presented, but our co-authors presented um, yep. work that we were, were working on. And uh, like we said, one of the cool things about this particular conference is that each paper gets a discussant to provide perspective from, quote unquote, the real world. So the practitioner perspective Mm -hmm. um, related to how things are actually done in practice or from a policy perspective. And like I said, I I love that about this conference. Yes. Um, I still remember several years ago, one of the greatest discussions I've ever seen. It wasn't even on my paper, but it was from one of the practitioner discussants at this conference a few years ago. She was frank. She was brilliant. She was hilarious best discussion I've ever seen. Yes. I think the, the, the discussant, one of the discussants for our papers was the same and it was just, it was great. So let's talk first a bit about your paper. Okay. Your paper is titled, how did the tax cuts and jobs act change taxes for us multinationals? It was presented by your co-author and a guest on a prior episode, June Ja at Texas A&M and co-authored with Casey Schwab at the university of North Texas. So my first question is, at what point are all of your friends and co-authors going to get you back to Texas? I mean, it is kind of crazy. Everyone I love winds up in Texas. Everyone you love winds up in Texas. It is crazy. I don't understand it, but that's okay. Um, So yes, this is a paper that uh, Junwei and Casey and I have been working on. It's kind of a a spinoff, if you will, of another paper that we have where we went through and we collected all of this data from companies' financial statements to learn a little bit more about their tax planning. Mm-hmm. And so basically we know that this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act had a lot of components to it. We've talked about a lot of them on this podcast. Um, biggest thing it did was it reduced the corporate tax rate from 35 down to 21%. Yep. That alone is going to reduce the benefit of tax planning because mm-hmm. before you were saving 35 cents on a dollar, now you're saving 21 cents. Um, it also... Uh, change the way that we tax multinationals through some provisions with crazy names. So what we're trying to learn with this paper is how did the benefit of tax planning through foreign operations change for U.S. multinationals as a result of all of this package of um, modifications that were part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? So that sounds very interesting to me. How do you go about trying to test that, though? So it's hard because, um, you know, we don't have access to tax return data. Mm -hmm. So we're relying on public companies' financial statements. And we've talked about this in a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. The, the treasure, the place that you go to get this stuff is you go to the income tax footnote. Yep. And more specifically, you go to that, um, what we call the effective tax rate reconciliation. And that's mm-hmm. where companies are explaining all of the significant reasons why their effective tax rate is different than the U.S. statutory tax rate. Mm-hmm. Casey and Junwei and I, for a prior paper, collected all of these explanations, all of these differences. And so we're basically going through and analyzing them and looking at how um, the tax benefit that they disclose related to their foreign operations changed. Mm -hmm. And then we can also get a little bit of information about those new provisions, the guilty, the beat and the um, foreign derived intangible income deduction, because companies disclose information about that, too. So the paper kind of has two parts. We're looking at how the benefits of foreign tax planning that we're seeing in financial statements change over time. Okay. And then we're looking at the types of companies that are accruing some of these new tax provisions um, mm-hmm. in their financial statements. And one of the things that was very good, I think, for us to hear mm-hmm. um, from both of the practitioners, because one of the practitioners, I think, was from the joint committee. Oh, cool. Even they have to wait to get tax return information. Ah. So she made a point of saying that 
they are even starting to try to dive into the financial statements because okay. that's going to give them more timely data. Yeah. So I think she said right now they're dealing with tax returns only through 2019, whereas we have access to this information all the way through 2022. Right. So this is a situation where we actually are at a little bit of an advantage as mm. researchers because we're getting more real-time information. It's not as granular as it would be right. with tax returns. We're, we're trading off granularity for timeliness. Right. Um, but she made a point to say a couple times Times that, that that's one of the strengths of our paper. And I appreciated her saying that. That's super cool. Yeah. It's also super interesting to learn about their, their leg in getting good information. Yes. That's yes. a little surprising to me. Yeah. And I don't know, if, I don't know why there's that delay because right. most companies e-file their returns now. Right. Um, but for whatever reason, they're about three years behind. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So with this more timely information, what can we learn? Like, what do you, what do you find? Um, so that's to be determined because even though we have the data through 2022, we weren't using it. Ah, okay. But this was something else I thought that was interesting okay. um, that both, both of our practitioner discussants brought up. We stopped in 2019 because we thought, well, 2020, 2021 pandemic, nobody was tax sure. planning during the pandemic. So let's not try to include those data that might lead us astray. Okay. And um, the practitioner who, who does tax planning said, nope, nobody stopped. There was no stoppage in mm. tax planning. It was going, it was ripping, it was roaring. Um, and so I thought that was a good point for all of us tax yeah. researchers. Like we don't have to be afraid of 2020 and 2021 and like cut them out of our sample and panic about it. Um, because at least from her perspective, it was business as usual. Interesting. Um, so based on those recommendations, the biggest point of encouragement we got was to expand the data mm -hmm. through the most recent year and then do that analysis because the, the practitioner discussant who does planning, she actually thinks that we are going to see some changes. So what we do see is obviously a reduction in the benefits of tax planning, which sure. you know is partially by design. We're trying to quantify that. That's okay. one of the, the um, objectives of our study. Um, and she thinks that we are actually maybe going to see differences in the, the frequency and the magnitude of these new provisions, the guilty, the fitty, and the beat. Because in her experience, companies sort of panicked initially and did some things short term to okay. try to avoid the guilty and the beat. Okay. And maybe those strategies aren't going to be long lasting. Sure. And so even though in our data right now, we don't see a ton of companies disclosing guilty and beat and the magnitudes aren't really that big and that gelled with her, mm -hmm. but she thinks that if we extend that time period out, we're going to see those numbers start to increase Okay. as those short term, like sort of fixes the companies put in right. place kind of ran out. Super interesting. Yeah. Any other feedback or comments, takeaways that you want to share with us? Uh, yes. So we were focusing very much on, like I said, quantification is a big objective of ours in this mm -hmm. study. And so, you know, we we're trying to say, this is the amount of guilty tax we see disclosed, or this is the amount of beat that we see disclosed. And it, it's not that big. And so the paper now kind of has a connotation of maybe these provisions weren't really that effective. And both discussants, you know, checked us on that and said, you're you're getting the direct effect of those things. You're looking at the direct impact of those taxes, but you're missing the indirect effect. Ah. So if a company restructured their entire operations to avoid the beat, yes. you're not going to see the beat, right, right, but right. they have just restructured their entire operations to avoid that. Right. And that's what we're picking up when we're seeing those reduced benefits from foreign tax planning. Okay. So both of them are like, your story totally makes sense, but you're not telling it right. Okay. So don't focus so much on trying to say the guilty did this, the beat did this, the fitty does this you have to look more holistically at the package of foreign benefits that companies are uh, accruing. And that can be explained by the direct effect of these provisions or also indirect effects, right? Because okay. if you can either get hit by the stick 
or you can change your behavior to avoid the stick. Right. Either way, the stick did what it was intending to do. Right, right, and right. we just, we were not characterizing our results the right way. So that was very beneficial. That's super. Yeah. And just to provide a little more context here, the guilty, the fitty, the beat, these are all some of those strangely named provisions that you mentioned earlier on um, that we're trying to reduce the incentives that companies have to shift their income overseas and avoid U.S. tax. Yes. Thank you. So instead of selfishly talking about a paper that I already know way too much about, which oh, is- Oh man, you made me selfishly talk about a paper that I already know too way too much about. But I didn't know okay. about it. Okay, all right. So I learned something. Okay. And instead of talking about my paper, which was the other paper in your session, I would like to instead uh, show a little love mm -hmm. to my colleague here at the University of Texas, Andrew Belknap, and our PhD student, Caitlin Crager. Caitlin, by the way, will be applying for academic positions next academic year. Yep. They presented a paper co-authored with Jake Thornock at Brigham Young University. The paper is titled Explaining Tax Avoidance, Insights from 30 Years of Research. Yes. They use a method that I'm not going to go into the details of, but it's a somewhat innovative approach mm -hmm. in accounting research anyway to help indicate how much different factors or what we call explanatory variables actually do explain companies' effective tax rates. Mm -hmm. So as a quick recap, effective tax rate is tax expense divided by pre-tax income. Yep. So we're using financial statement information here to try to get a sense of the rate of tax that companies pay mm -hmm. on their profits. Mm -hmm. As an example, research has shown that effective tax rates are impacted by intangible property, like from doing R&D. Uh, by enforcement efforts mm -hmm. by tax authorities. Makes sense. And by firm size. So the problem is we don't actually know, we, we know each of these things are important mm -hmm. and we, need, we know each of them help explain effective tax rates, but we don't know which ones are more important yep. than the others. And so that's what they're trying to do with their new method. It helps rank how important these known determinants of effective tax rates actually are. And the authors explain that that's important because it can be important for policy. Right. Yes. If we know that R&D is a big driver of uh, tax avoidance, which is something that they find, then, you know, if uh, Congress wants a big quick win or if IRS wants to know where to focus its efforts, this paper might be able to speak to that by saying you might get more. What is this phrase? I keep hearing people say there might be more juice for the squeeze. Oh, yeah. if you go after this type of activity than if you go after this other type of activity that's not actually really explaining much of the tax avoidance that we see among public companies. Yeah. So it could be really, really useful. Yeah. I also like as a researcher that by examining these, de these determinants of effective tax rates over 30 years mm -hmm. of tax accounting research, it's, it's a pretty nice review of the literature, right? In a sense, it's telling us here's big picture, a lot of the things that have been shown to impact mm -hmm. effective tax rates. And that can be very useful to somebody new to tax research. So I love that my PhD student, Caitlin Crager is working on this project. Yeah. I think it's giving her a really good big picture view of what we know so far, mm -hmm. and then trying to take that a step forward and saying, but how important are all of these things? Absolutely. I also think, and I can't remember if they say this in the paper or not, that there's also implications for future researchers because Right now they're finding, let's say that enforcement doesn't matter a ton, but 
is that because enforcement doesn't matter a ton or because we don't have a really great way of measuring enforcement? Right, right. They also talk about agency costs, which is this idea that, you know, managers are maybe not acting in the best interest of shareholders when they Mm -hmm. engage in tax avoidance. And I think they find that that doesn't matter a ton either. Same thing. Is it because it actually isn't happening in practice or because we don't have good ways to measure those agency costs? Right. So I think that there's, you know, another contribution that they could claim here, again, if they're not already doing it, that this could like motivate Uh, researchers to focus in on the areas where we have really strong like beliefs priors that something should matter but their study is telling us that it actually doesn't matter well do we need to refine our priors do we need to find better settings and better ways to measure things right i think that they could actually kind of like spur a second wave almost Mm -hmm. if they can point people to areas where it's like we really think we really think enforcement should matter but it really doesn't seem to what gives right and I like that a lot about uh, the potential that their paper yeah. has to impact our, our research. Yeah. All right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as is the case, whenever we do one of these episodes, the mm-hmm. good is easy these conferences are great. They're a lot of hard work for the organizers. I don't know if we've yeah. ever really acknowledged that. Um, I think Michael Donahoe said that they got over 40 submissions. Somebody has to read all those papers mm-hmm. and come up with a program, find discussants, mm-hmm. uh, find moderators. Conference attendees have to read the papers because if you don't read the papers and there aren't questions, it's kind of not a really beneficial conference. So putting these conferences on is a, is a lot of work and it's they're really important because it's such an, a, a public venue for people to get really critical feedback on their research. So we haven't said it before, I don't think, but thanks to everybody who puts these conferences on. Yeah, these conferences are great in theory, you know, when one is actually able to attend. Yes. Um, so those are some great things. The bad is obviously not everybody can attend, whether it's an act of God that prevents you from getting on a plane or the invitation list is yeah. is limited. Yes. Um, even though there were about 100 people there, that is not all of the people who could have been invited to convene and share their ideas. And so I wonder if we should do more like to make these conferences accessible to a wider audience, mm-hmm. for example, by streaming them or making them interactive via Zoom. And I don't know the right answer. We tried this a lot during the pandemic. Yeah. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. In some cases, it was better than nothing because we couldn't actually be in the same room. Um, and there are certainly technical, logical issues to overcome, but it would be nice to at least consider, I'm certainly considering it with the next conference that I put on mm. of, you know, is there a way to make it a little more accessible to everyone? And it is, you know, a lot of times it's driven by space. Like we were, yeah, we had pretty much maxed out that room. Um, and I also think, I don't know, I imagine something bad would happen if you had more than a hundred tax nerds in a confined area at once. Like, Depends on who you ask. I, I, I mean, yeah, there, there could be there could be city codes that sure. prohibit such uh, shenanigans. But yeah, I think finding a way to overcome those space issues could be helpful. Yeah. Ugly. I missed out on the ladies weekend. You did. That was definitely the ugly. And I think that's probably going to be it. Full stop. Weather was good. Food was good. Papers were good. For the record, the weather here was not good. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.